0: It is illegal to discriminate against a job applicant on the basis of race, ethnicity, gender, age, or disability. But it's perfectly legal to discriminate against potential employees who don't have college degrees. In fact, it's grown increasingly common. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is Please, Go On... Many employers insist that someone have a bachelor's degree to be considered for jobs, which a lot of people manage to do just fine without one. In practice, this excludes tens of millions of working-age people from the middle class. They tend to disproportionately be African-American, Latino, older, and live in rural areas. Our guest this week is trying to do something about that. Byron Ogiste is the CEO of Opportunity at Work, a nonprofit that aims to rewire the labor market so individuals without four year degrees can get good paying jobs. In an op ed for The Post, Byron wrote that while degree discrimination is not illegal, it should be considered a damaging bias that's blinding companies to talent they need and reinforcing existing economic inequalities. Here is our conversation. You write in your op ed, that three seemingly innocuous words, bachelor's degree required, are causing serious damage to our workers and economy. About two-thirds of US workers lack a bachelor's degree. Can you talk about the central thesis of your piece?
1: When you require a bachelor's degree, when employers require a bachelor's degree, even to consider someone for a job, it has some very damaging effects. Um, the first damaging effect is that uh over 60% of the active workforce today um, does not have a bachelor's degree, and uh, that's on average. Um, when you put a bachelor's degree requirement on a job, you immediately exclude from that job 70% of African Americans, 80% of Latino Hispanic workers, and about 70% of rural American workers of all races. So you better have a very good reason for that bachelor's degree exclusion. but. The fact of the matter is um, employers often don't. It's often a cut and paste and over time, now we see almost three quarters of new jobs um, in categories where a bachelor's degree is routinely required despite the fact that millions of people doing those jobs already don't have bachelor's degrees. So there's a lot of damage that's uh, occurring.
0: How did we get to this place? It used to be that
1: most jobs didn't require a bachelor's degree, of course. Uh, to be a doctor, you needed a medical degree. To be a lawyer, you need a law degree. But but to be a an administrator or an HR professional, or in sales and marketing, or for that matter, in IT, you really didn't need a bachelor's degree before. What seems to have happened is that first, uh, with the rise of uh, online job search. Employers started getting a lot more job applications. So, if you get 30 job applications, you can look at the resumes and you can kind of judge holistically whether you think someone is someone worth interviewing. However, if you get, let's say, 800 uh, applications online, it's understandable why employers uh, need to narrow down the pool before they examine closely. But sadly, the way many chose to narrow down the pool is just through kind of a Keyword search, if you will, and one of the easiest keywords to search and to screen out on was whether you had a bachelor's degree. So, to some extent, it was convenience. But then I think there's also been a phenomenon where more and more of the professional class and indeed HR professionals uh, come from uh, bachelor's degree backgrounds, and and so it's kind of become assumed in some places that if a job is important and responsible, well, then you need to have a bachelor's degree. So it's been a drift. So the question in, in my mind is not just how we got here, though, but how we get out of it.
0: I want to talk a lot about how we get out of it, because that's the most important part. But I want to talk more about how you got into this. You were on the board of trustees at Yale, your alma mater, before you became President Obama's point man on jobs. You earned a doctorate in economics from Oxford. You were a partner at McKinsey. You have an elite education and an elite background. How did you come to focus on helping advance those without degrees?
1: Well, people do ask me a lot because I I, I did get a college degree as you say at an, an elite college and in fact, one of the responses to the op-ed someone asked me, they said, you went to Yale and Oxford. Do you feel that someone that has a high school diploma should get the same consideration for a job as you do? And I totally understand the question. What I responded is that I think that having a college degree, even from an elite institution, is not a particularly clear indicator of skills or even readiness for a given job, and that generic bachelor's degree screens are wildly overused. So for example, if a job requires the use of differential equations, employers absolutely should seek evidence that a candidate has that, whether they gained it at a university or they gained it some other way. But what people often say, and this is what I really disagree with, They say that college is their way of demonstrating, showing that someone has demonstrated responsibility or aptitude or the ability to learn or problem solving ability or project management skills, you know, those sorts of general skills. And the fact of the matter is there are a lot of other ways to gain those skills and to gain them to a very high standard. Um, There are people who enlisted in military service. There are people who are frontline workers in logistics and healthcare and customer service. There are so many ways that people can get those skills. While I was at McKinsey, I I led the high-tech services practice. And I got to tell you, I learned more from call center workers and data center workers about how things had worked than that often than I did from management. And I I really think that we need to see people in frontline jobs, not as problems, but as problem solvers. And once you look at people with those eyes, you realize that there is so much potential, so much creativity, so much problem-solving ability that we're overlooking just because it doesn't come in a package that's kind of wrapped in a in a bow with some fancy college name on it.
0: In our current economy, you hear economists talk about how this is a no-college-degree recession. There's this kind of two-track recovery. It's been really hard on people without college degrees. They were the first to lose their jobs. They're among the slowest to get hired back into some of the the sectors that are still struggling. How much would ending, for lack of a better word, discrimination against people without bachelor's degrees help close what we hear referred to as the skills gap or the labor shortages that people talk about?
1: It's hard to know how much... Ending degree discrimination would change the picture of the skill shortage, partly because employers screen out those workers before measuring their skills. So we don't have a good picture. That said, what we do know using pre-COVID data, Opportunity at Work did work with a number of partners and economists and looked at the entire range of jobs in the economy and the skills required for them. And what we found was that of 70 million Americans who don't have bachelor's degrees, but who are skilled through alternative routes, 30 million of that 70 million actually had the skills based on the work they were doing for jobs that paid at least 50% more than the jobs they were in. And those jobs that paid that much more were typically, of course, the jobs that were in high demand from employers. So the evidence we see is that if you did remove the um, the degree screens and you allowed people to do jobs rising to the levels of their skills, and maybe you invested a little more in training uh, to complement that, we think, 10, you know, 20, 30 million people can move up into jobs that were better paying, more in demand. And this is the important thing. When those people move up, then other people that maybe aren't as far along in their skill development can move into their jobs and build those skills. Because the most important thing to remember, and everyone knows this when they think about it, most of the skills we use at work, we learn on the job, not in school we learn them on the job. So if we stop people from having that experience on the job, well, then obviously we're going to work our way into a skills gap. And I think that's exactly what we've done.
0: You talk in the piece about stars skilled through alternate routes. It's a handy acronym. You mentioned the military a minute ago. What are some of the other ways that workers can become stars.
1: We define stars as those that do have high school degrees, don't have college degrees, but have gained in-demand skills. And most of the learning, frankly, is on the job. And that might be in civilian workforce. You've seen two thirds of, of essential workers are stars. There are more ways than ever to learn new skills. And for working learners, That includes coding boot camps. That includes uh, digital learning. That includes competency-based programs, some of which might involve college credit or even college degrees. There's an enormous community college system, hundreds, thousands of, of excellent community college programs to develop those skills. And increasingly, companies in the United States are looking into and investing in apprenticeship programs. And so it's a real shame that at the time that People can learn more skills in so many ways. We've kind of blocked that transition from learning to earning by by looking backwards at their history, their pedigree. Because you can change your skills, that's learning, but changing your history is lying. So if we can only let people get jobs based on their history, what they did when they were 21 or 22, well, we're not really going to get out uh, of of this you know, we're stuck and we're not going to get out. There's no way to get out of that. But learning is something that we can all do. And people learn all the time. It's one of the most human things to do. And allowing that learning to become earning and progress is is something that would change our society and our economy for the better.
0: You mentioned IBM's new collar jobs initiative in your op-ed. What are companies that are doing the right thing? What can others learn from them It in achieving what you're talking about?
1: The most important thing to learn from programs like IBM's New Collar Jobs is that you're gonna get a lot further if you do something on purpose than if you just wait for it to happen by accident. IBM defined uh, actually dozens of jobs that they were in demand that required some technical skills but that they, when you really broke it down, they didn't see why you needed to have a bachelor's degree, and they intentionally widened their uh, sourcing and their recruiting for those jobs. They expanded community college recruiting, but they also looked at experienced workers. They built out apprenticeship programs, and they started to share that with other employers. And there are companies also that that are going beyond their four walls. You have Google with its um, IT. Uh, certificate that it represents a certain sort of standard, and there's a number of uh, tech companies that do that. But there are also uh, labor unions that have, have built like tremendously effective kind of workforce programs, whether that's in the, the health professions or, of course, the skilled trades, and more and more that's moving into other sectors of the economy. There, there's a lot of opportunities for individual employers to act However, I think the biggest opportunity, and the one that opportunity at work is focused on the most, is how can groups of employers, ecosystems of employers, network of employers, all open up their demand, and so that there's lots of different ways and lots of different destinations that people can can go.
0: You mentioned that it was a drift over time to get to this point, and you identified a bunch of the factors your father's experience in 1971 that you write about feels instructive for a path forward to create these ecosystems, to create these skill sets. Can you talk about your your dad's experience and how that helped him and, and how that might be applicable in 2021?
1: Yeah. I think about my dad's experience 50 years ago a lot, because in some ways it was the epitome of the American dream. Like me, my dad is African-American. And in 1970, there was, you know, there's a lot of discrimination against African-American men. My dad had not worked in an office. He had not worked in technology, certainly. He was a shipping clerk in a factory in Detroit. And he saw a newspaper ad saying, you know, learn COBOL and punch your own ticket. So COBOL was the IBM computing language for mainframe computers. And at the time, was in massive demand. There was a huge need for it. Not enough people knew it. And so my dad somehow thought maybe he could learn that and he quit his job and he he studied in a program for a few months. And then my mom, who worked at Detroit Edison at the time, uh, talked to someone in the what i t department then called management Information Services to give my dad a a job shadow. So he followed he followed someone around and they let him try things, and he showed them a little bit of you know coding, per, you know programming, and they thought, well, he's got something. he can do something. And so they hired him as an entry level programmer. He had been to college, I think, for about a year. He had dropped out early. He did not have technical skills prior to this. No one would have looked at him and said, oh, he's someone who's going to be a programmer. That was my family's path into the middle class. When I look at today and I ask myself, and I've met people who were more capable today than my dad was then, who've been shut out for years, and one of the joys of the work I'm doing now is that if you open the door a little ways, people will go out of their way to, like, you know, push it wide open and make progress. And There's a lot of talent that's going overlooked, and I I have a lot of conviction around that, given my family experience and given what I've seen, honestly, in every part of the country.
0: Half a century ago, in those early days of COBOL, when your dad was coding, it would have been unimaginable to have online job searching platforms You mentioned earlier that these job sites are one of the factors that led to a proliferation of applications and then keyword searches to filter out anyone without a bachelor's degree. But you note in your op-ed that LinkedIn's CEO recently committed to piloting some skills-based tools to encourage more accessible paths to high-paying jobs. Ultimately, of course, it's companies, not job boards that make hiring decisions, but What are we talking about here? Drop-down menus where you can check off all your skills? Something else?
1: Yes, I'm very hopeful that um, some of the the job platforms um, will move towards a a more skills-based approach. I think that matters because businesses can do a little bit of anything they want to. But to do a lot of something, it really has to be embedded in a business process, in a, in a, in a systematic workflow, and typically in software. So it, it, it matters uh, that these platforms and the, the HR software works in a more inclusive way and works in a skills-based way. And it matters even more as uh, artificial intelligence becomes a bigger part of it, because if you apply mal- machine learning to uh, a history that is exclusionary, well, then your recommendations are going to be exclusionary.
0: You mentioned that employers can only do so much at the margins, you know, and it's the ecosystem, but one employer packs quite a lot of weight, which is the largest employer in the country, the federal government. Last month, the Biden administration issued an executive order to advance inclusive hiring. What does that do to help what you're working on and what else could the federal government do? Are there laws that would help? Are there federal incentives?
1: President Biden, um, in announcing uh, the American Jobs Plan Act and the, the, the so-called the infrastructure bills and their various permutations, I, I think he said 75% of those jobs don't require a bachelor's degree. And I, I noted that statement and it was great to put that out there, but I think it's very important that um, in um, where federal uh, government is spending money and where it's contracting and where it's hiring directly that the federal government, and for that matter, state and local governments do everything they can to ensure that there are no unnecessary exclusions um, from public employment based on uh, these sort of degree requirements.
0: And ultimately, it's good to have altruism and good to have kind of a commitment to inclusion and diversity and all those things, but it can be demonstrated to companies that it helps them Achieve their core uh, business that that will help make things better.
1: Yes, James. You know, five million of the seventy million stars are actually already in high wage jobs. They've gotten over the barriers. They've you know they've gotten around it, and it's so interesting when you look at it. The two categories, uh, the two job categories that are the single most common for high wage stars, are software developer, because you can show your work, and CEO because so many stars who've been blocked from being a great resourceful contributing employee have said, you know what? I'm gonna start my own business and let my customers judge like my skills rather than my employer. And so you know, I, I, I sometimes say to companies, if you don't actually invest in stars talent, including in your own company, in your own frontline, in your call centers, in your warehouses and the like, if you don't give um, that talent and opportunity to rise, um, they might be your competitor the next day, because honestly, there's there's a tremendous talent pool.
0: One of the more liked comments on your op-ed, it, I would love to get your reaction to, because I think it it is this view that is commonly out there, and I think it's important that, that you address it. He, this person says, I was a high school math teacher for 25 years and an assistant principal. Uh, this is in his Words your questions are backwards. The real question is why do the majority of Americans lack a college degree? Uh, A high school diploma today is about the equivalent of a seventh grade education in the 1960s. That's what this person is saying. Even community college doesn't quite equal a high school diploma from back then. So skills are one thing and lots of people have them in spades, but literacy, critical thinking, and knowledge are quite something else. I couldn't disagree with what you've written more. College in the 21st century is absolutely essential. How do you respond to people who think that way?
1: Of course, it is Really important um, to have um, elementary and secondary education be of a high quality, uh, in part, so that you don't need a college degree. I'm not against college, but um, I do think uh, the question of of enriching high school, having more mix of kind of learning and 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 you know, career and technical education is something that was seen as a second track. But if you actually look at the sophistication of what it takes to, to, let's say, repair a car, which is basically a a complex computer on wheels, right? A series, it's like software and so forth. That's not actually a lesser skill set. So I think we need to rethink on the high school side how we mix the kind of more practical application of learning, which will, by the way, motivate a lot of students and allow them to kind of get these higher order critical thinking skills. So I think that's an important point. But then when you say everyone should go to college, Um, People have a lot of opinions about that, but the most fundamental thing I want to point out is that the math of that absolutely doesn't work. It violates basic arithmetic because while the demand for people with uh, college degrees has grown off the charts, quality seats in higher education institutions have grown very, very, very little. So in a way, having companies insist that someone needs to have a bachelor's degree to an extent far more than there are seats in quality you know in quality right. institutions of higher education means that you are you're you're essentially weaponizing a bachelor's degree we do not have a society that's organized so that everybody can go to college even if everybody wants to even if everybody should and so it's just not reasonable it's basically an invitation to sort of a neo-feudal society and i think we are um, we are failing to realize so much of the kind of creative contribution and, 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 and talent and, and, and work, um, to be done in our society. And I think it's a shame.
0: You mentioned earlier, it really resonated with me that when you were at McKinsey, sometimes the employees in a call center taught you more about what was really going on than their managers did. Uh, and that, that, you know, helped your approach. I've found that to be, True in reporting and, and everything else. You were in the White House for two years. What did you learn during your tenure as it relates to your approach to these issues that maybe sharpened your perspective about what needs to be done uh, to, to deal with these various gaps that we're talking about?
1: You mentioned earlier that I'd i been in a number of elite institutions of higher education or, or, or places of work, and, and that is true. And I think an observation I'd have is that to the extent that uh, in the world of uh, public policy, let's say working in the White House um, or in the world of journalism, let's say at the Washington Post um, or, you know, in parts of the world of business, like say at McKinsey, to the extent that everybody in a room has come through the same, um, you know, relatively narrow, you um, uh, kind of pathways and have learned in the same way, and ha- think about problems in the same way. You actually are worse at problem solving. You actually understand policy less. And I would say in, in public policy, you know, it's look, people are extremely well meaning. They work very hard, but if nobody understands um, that most Americans don't have a bachelor's degree, then that people don't understand that most Americans don't have more than a few hundred dollars of savings that, you know, 20 million people are at the mercy of, you know, scheduling changes willy nilly and couldn't even finish a community college program because they would constantly, um, have their, their, their classes overridden by, by last minute changes in their job. I mean, I don't think that enough of the, um, the, the, policy and political elite the the media and journalistic elite or the business elite knows the way things actually work at ground level and i i will say in the work i did in the the services sector it was amazing to me how much of how many of the problems the business problems the profit problems were caused by uh uh, management top-down not trusting their frontline workforce and trying to create systems to override their judgment, and that ended up creating a situation where you had, uh, you know, you had people typically without bachelor's degrees working at the front line, knowing how to solve a problem, but also knowing that the system they were working in was going to ding them if they solved the customer's problem, and that's where you get poor customer service. That's when you get you know failing businesses, and it's really something. Uh, the extent to which if you took seriously people in your frontline workforce as problem solvers and you started with what they knew and you built the systems around it, you find that you're gonna have much better solutions. And most of innovation and most of productivity and improvement in this country now is not happening in laboratories or in you know penthouse offices. It's happening at the front lines of the work across industries in America, where people, frontline workers, are noticing something, how to make it a little better, spreading that. And and that's the progress we're making.
0: Byron, we will leave it there. Thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thank you, James. With non-college-educated workers struggling to find jobs, there are eerie similarities between what's happening at this point in the 2021 COVID recovery and what happened in the years after the Great Recession. This is not an intellectual exercise. It's not happening in a vacuum. These are human beings. And after the 2008 crash, many ended up so discouraged that they turned to alcohol, drugs, and suicide when they couldn't find work. These became known as deaths of despair. A recent ZipRecruiter survey found that high school dropouts were the most likely to agree with this statement. I'm worried that I may not find a job at all, and I'm thinking about giving up. We can't give up. We can't give up on these people. They are our fellow Americans. Byron points in his op-ed to upcoming research that will be published by Joseph Fuller of Harvard Business School. It shows how little thought often goes into the process of posting job applications. The requirement to have a bachelor's degree is often just cut and pasted from one job description to the next. While legal, degree discrimination doesn't just deepen racial inequality it also blocks companies from finding and employing the talent they need if you can do the job you should be able to get the job please go on is produced by julie deppenbrock with editing by allison michaels and michael duffy our theme music is by ted muldoon You can listen and follow us on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review us. If you want to read Byron O'Geist's op-ed, you can find the link in our show notes. I'm James Homan, and I'll be back next Friday with another edition of Please Go On, because there's always more to say.